Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. So Steve was talking about the, the pouring out of water and I remember, I had this memory from probably close to, probably I think it was probably 14 years ago because my dog's 14 years old and he was a puppy and I was preparing to do a message at the ministry that I spoke at. Cool. Um, so anyhow, uh, I was preparing to do a message and I was really perfectionistic, right? I was like, I had to drop bombs and I had to bring meat and it had to be a high level and I wanted to make sure everybody got fed something valuable. You know, I never, I never took it lightly, right? And so... I just had this standard, and maybe it was in my own mind, right? Um, but it created pressure in me. And I remember one day, I had somewhat of a message, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I had the whole thing. And I was speaking at this place that night, you know, it was 14 years ago. And uh, I was in, in, in the office that I had at my computer, and I was just kind of racking my brain um, to really try to put something together that I thought would be really valuable. And um, as I was sitting there, I heard what sounded like an entire cooler full of water. Like, you know, when the ice melts in your cooler and it's full and you pour it out and whoosh, I'm sitting there in my office and then I hear this, what sounds like this entire large vessel of water just being poured all the way out inside of the house. <laughs> and I was like, dang it, Kwame. Like, what did you do? You know, I knew that he just ran into something, knocked something down. We had two of them back then. She didn't, she... She didn't make it past 2020, but she's an old gal. They're wrestling around acting a fool, and they did something. And so I popped up off the desk. I went to go get the dogs, and they're just sitting there relaxed, you know, chilling. And I looked around, and I walked in the kitchen. I walked into wherever Nicole was, and it was like, there was, there was nothing to make that sound in my house. But it was so loud, like in my brain, I was thinking, logically, that had to have been like, you know, it's almost like you filled up the dishwasher full of water and just opened it and it just brushed out or you know, the washing machine tipped over. It, was, it sounded like such a disturbance. Um, but I went back in my office and there was literally no logical place for it to happen. And, and there was no water in the house. But I felt the, the Lord was actually encouraging me in that time of my life. It's just like, hey, just like he told that woman at the well, that she, you know, give me this water and you'll never thirst again. Well, how, you know, what, you know, she was all confused about it. He says, he who drinks the water that I give him out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I felt like that was the Lord say, hey, it's, it's inside of you. By, by, when you abide in the Lord, that's what true anointing is. It, anointing is a, a Christianese word. It's become something that it was never intended to be. Amen. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God is, is the indwelling of God to where you have communion with him in all the regular aspects of your life not even the highly spiritual ones. And because of that, you're growing in maturity. You're growing in wisdom and understanding this stature and favor with God and with man. Like you're, you're progressing and maturing in this walk. And what is the Bill Gilcrease quote? Everything that you need is right where you need it, when you need it. Is that, did I do that right? It's one of my favorite quotes, you know. Um, but that's, that's what that means. When you abide in the Lord... Nothing is by accident in your life. 
When you're seeking first the kingdom in your heart and your mind, your priority is knowing him in all things, sharing with him in all things, as he shared with us in all things, even his throne, you know, we sit upon it with him. It's like we have this, we're, we're in alignment with this river that comes wherever we're going. It's like, hey, take, it'll take the edge off of you if you realize you're doing this with me and not for me. And it doesn't have to be perfect. And it's not just up to you if it grows or not or if people get hit or not. You know what I'm saying? Like I put you in this place to function in me and rest in that reality. And that was that word of the Lord, you know. But that's the truth. That's the reality of what anointing is. Now, we understand anointing in the Old Testament. You know, they would anoint the kings. And um, the way that they would do that, and the priests, but the way they would do they would they would dump literally oil over the top of their heads and like completely drench them with it. And it was this symbolic ritual. The, the, the oil itself wasn't magic, right? <laughs> but it was a symbolic ritual of this invisible, almost like this invisible, I don't want to say costume, but like suit outfit that was being poured over them. That when you see this man or you see this person, you may not see the, the fancy garment, which I'm not against the Episcopals and Catholics. I wish I had a garment like that, you know, a little white tie. And I think that's pretty cool. They look like, you know, really cool, you know, or even the friars and stuff. Those robes are really spiritual looking, you know. But it's like you don't recognize somebody's authority by some cloak. So it's not a slap against them. They can play the game whatever they want. It's just a different game. But it's just like, in reality, it's like you may not see the outfit or the badge, but it's there. That oil, it's over them. It's clear. It's crystal clear, but it's there. And so it was this, it was this acknowledgement. When you see this person, you're seeing somebody who, who God is upon their life and, and place them in, in this sphere of authority. Now, we have something t- entirely different and, and, and even greater than that, I would say, which was the prophecy of the entire Old Testament, which is the true anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is God on the inside of the person, transforming them and changing them. The, the real measure of your walk with God is if you are growing in wisdom and understanding Amen. and in peace and the fruits of the Spirit are manifest in your life. You know? yeah. It's like we should always be progressing, never the same. Yeah. Always growing, always gaining an understanding, always gaining wisdom, you know, always, always on to something. I'm on to something in my relationship with the Lord. He's, this is what I'm learning right now. This is what he's teaching right now. And it's not some disqualification thing. It's that like the source of this river of life, who is Jesus, the God of, you know, the eternal king. Uh, it is so untappable that there is always more of, of him for us to step into and to walk into. I don't think in the eternal, in the outside of time and space, in the eternities, that we will ever stop growing in him. Because I think he is so far beyond human intellect or capacity that we, we limit him and, and we become so familiar with something that we don't really know how incredible it is. And those limits, they're never from him. He's unlimited. Yeah, man. It's true. You know, when Jesus talked about oil, the symbolic oil in Matthew 25... He, he differentiated, he was actually talking about the kingdom of heaven, but he was drawing this analogy, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like these ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. It says, but five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So there's that, that proverbial or that prophetic thing he's touching on. 
but the wise took oil in their vessels. It says, but the bridegroom was delayed and everybody slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry heard, behold, the bridegroom's coming. So it didn't happen on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock when he showed up. That's when I need to be ready to meet the Lord and, and have my, my garments on, my, my outfit on, my spiritual. Hey, brother, amen. Yeah, the yeah, Lord's good. Hey, well, you know, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like it has to be real all the time. And um, there's a, go and meet him. So all of them get up to meet him. They trim their lamps because oil, they didn't have flashlights, right, kids? So they had oil on their lamps, and, and that's what kind of kept the thing burning so they could actually see. And um, it says, The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, No, lest there not should be enough for us and for you, but go to those who sell and buy for yourself. This is not something I can give you. It's something you, on your own, have to receive and to purchase with your own time and effort. Mm -hmm. It says, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with them to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also and saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he says something that would appear to be cruel, but you understand this is something he is communicating. He said, but the bridegroom answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. We don't know each other. And so here you have this prophetic picture of the anointing of the Holy Spirit or this, this you know, thing that's kind of become a Christianese term, especially on our side of the tracks, that charismatic group, you know, which we are. But it's become something. And Jesus is talking about this bridegroom saying, Hey, I don't know you. And they stay locked out. And um, some people think like, well, that's the, that's where the, he- that's hell and heaven right there. They weren't ready, you know, and that, I, I don't believe that's at all what that's saying. Um, but what it is saying is something very interesting. He didn't say, the bridegroom didn't say, depart from me. You guys did, sorry, you guys didn't have oil in your lamps. You know what I mean? Because that's what it's about. He said, depart from me. We don't know each other. And so he's already given a key to the map right there to the analogy the oil wasn't about oil. It was about relational connection. Amen. That's what he's saying. Amen. It's like, hey, we don't know each other. Yes. And the, the reason that the five wise couldn't give it to them, you can't give your relationship to somebody else. It doesn't work that way. Mom is Jesus or dad's or, you know, oh, you know. That doesn't work. It's, it's, it's us. We have this responsibility to cultivate this thing. Yes. But it, it even sounds gross saying it's a responsibility because it's such a privilege. Yeah. Like, oh, I got to go spend time with God or try to read or pray. But it's been, because of the poison of the knowledge of good and evil, it's become this working thing that it was never meant to be. It's this incredible gift that we have to do life with God, yes. to seek first his kingdom in all things, you know, and to walk with him. And to throw all our anxieties upon him because he cares for us and letting him exalt us or position us in the world. That's the way Peter described it, you know. And it's just wonderful thing like this oil, this anointing, you know. I was, you know, I was a CrossFit trainer for what, 10 years? But it's like, we always had this, this quote because if you know anything about that stuff, they, they go through weightlifting and gymnastics and all the different types of cardiovascular stuff. They do all these things and they've combined them to this 
this uh, type of exercise that they feel is like the, the most elite to forge the most elite fitness in the world. And it's, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty real, it's good, but they had this, this quote that the founders took and it was called virtuosity. And it was something that they would drill, especially in gymnastics, like in the, like in the, the kids that are trained in gymnastics since they're like little kids. It's, it's basically a gymnastics quote, or the definitions kind of come from them. They've made it their own, which means virtuosity is described as performing the common uncommonly well. Unlike risk and originality, virtuosity is elusive, supremely elusive. It is, however, readily recognized by audience as well as coach and athlete. And um, if you could hear that even like in all sport and all athletics, virtuosity, those who get the fundamentals and the, the movements and the forms of, it doesn't matter if it's basketball, baseball, football, you know, tennis, and it's like people that have, have got the pure, especially in Olympic sports, because in, in li the Olympic lifting and gymnastics and stuff, one, one wrong body part out of place, a half of an inch, dictates the, gold, the medals and, and, and not being on it, you know? And so virtuosity with this ability to drill, to do the, the common things, but like uncommonly well. And I think that that is an aspect of what anointing is. It is living our life, not us doing things perfectly, but there's an essence, there's, there's a mark of even, not in, oh, in ministry or speaking, which it's 100% has to happen there. In, in, in our ministry or prophecy, or praying for people, it's like without the anointing, it's just, it's not, it's just dead religion, you know. Um, but even in our regular life, the, the common things we find ourselves doing, when we do our, live our life with the Lord, there's, there's an uncommonality, if that's even a word, that is readily recognized by the audience as well as the coach and the athlete. It's readily like, whoa, there's something different there. Mm -hmm. The scribes used to say that about Jesus, like, or the people would say, he doesn't sound like the scribes. Like, he's teaching out that same scrolls. But this feels different. But it was anointing. It was the spirit of their father that was touching them. And the anointing is transferable. It is inspiring. You know? And we're called to live in this anointing, which is, again, the more I say the word, I, I, like I want to back up. I'm like, just so you know, right? <laughs> we're talking about relationship with Jesus. Right? We're not, oh, yeah, no. It costs you everything, but you got to, you know what I mean? I know that's the way it is. And a lot of people fall on that mentality, and that's, that's okay. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something in the Bible, the way Jesus walked with his, these, these guys were practically idiots, a lot of the disciples. You know what I mean? The, the stuff they did. But that's what anointing looked like. They saw results because it wasn't really just them. They were doing something with him. And that's what anointing was. It may be invisible. They may only see you in the natural, but the oil has been poured off that invisible coat, that invisible outfit. You're almost, you know, you're wearing that invisible, but you're wearing God and he's wearing you. I'm in you and you are in me. This reality, this John 14 reality is like, this is what anointing looks like and it will enhance all of the earth and all of the world. Yeah. There's something I, I just wrote, I wrote in this because I like it. In Isaiah 10, 27, um, you know, these prophecies, like we see in like 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 15, they say these things were written for us. You know, they're written, they're written to another audience, to another culture. They're written to different circumstances, 
but they're written for us. You feel me? And it's like, there's so many layers to the prophetic. And this prophecy that Isaiah is talking about, you know, the Assyrian king and all this stuff that the Lord's going to come and break this bondage off them. We, we see historically, this is a historic writing by one of the greatest poets in the Bible. Isaiah used, he used a higher vocabulary than anybody in the entire Bible. The, the most words is just like a beautiful writer. It's really cool for that. Um, but it contained prophetic themes and phrases that were concerning the coming Messiah and the restoration of all creation. It wasn't just about Israel and, and the Assyrians, you know, and we, and we kind of know this. You understand that? And so easily to take out of context, but it's not when you read it through the eyes of the, the menorah, right? So anyways, it shall come to pass that his burden, they were talking about the enemy that was oppressing, oppressing the, um, the Jews, the Assyrians specifically in Isaiah 10. It'll be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. And so to them, it's like, well, that's a, that's a weird, kind of beautiful, poetic thing. But it was, a, it was an eternal truth for us. It's like the, the yoke of religion of doing things by works and in your own strength and trying to get something, to achieve, achieve something that's been achieved already for you. Like that yoke is going to be broken by the hardest hitting samurai. No, by a sword. No, by, by a buzzsaw. No, by anointing oil. Like, oh, that doesn't make much sense, but it makes perfect sense to us now. There's something that the anointing does that overthrows. It's not about might nor by power nor by strength. It's by the Spirit of God. It causes you to be something you never could have been. And the whole game changes, even the laws of physics, but the natural laws of the world, you know, everything. The anointing wasn't just for the king, right? It wasn't just for, well, Elisha was a prophet and he got anointed, but that's, it did, you don't see a lot of that, you know? And we can talk, we'll talk about him today, but... Um, in the priest, but it, it's actually all about us stepping into Christianity. Yeah. Christianity is the anointed walk. It is the spirit-filled walk. There's no such thing that's not spirit-filled Christianity. There, you know, it's holding to a form of godliness and denying power. It's not real. So anyways, I wanted to talk about that anointing role just for a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. But I was like, man, I was thinking about this oil and I was reading through these stories and we've been talking about Elijah and Elisha and some of these parabolic things and, and, and um, we've been also on the theme of even creating space, but there's a creating space for the anointing of God in our life as well, Amen. right? And I know I don't have to do this, but we also remember that when I say creating space for the anointing, I'm talking about creating space to acknowledge God in all of our ways so that he will direct our paths. I'm talking about relational connection. I know I don't have to do that with y'all, but uh, that's what I mean. Just so we don't religiousize it. Christianese size it. Churchianityize it. Whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, but there's a place of actually opening up. And there's a story that I think really goes well with this, and it's just a few verses in 2 Kings chapter 4. But it's about this lady who is one of the wives of the sons of the prophets. So I don't know if he was a part of the school of the prophets or what he was, um, but he was one of the servants um, that was kind of aligned under the main leader, who was Elisha. And she said something to the extent she said um, in 2 Kings 4, your servant, my husband, like he was actually aligned, he was under you, he served you, um, but he passed away. And you know that he feared the Lord. But the creditor is coming to take away my two sons to be his slaves. And imagine that. Here's another one, kind of like the one we talked about last week, who's, who's driven 
to God, but it's also like she's in a tough spot of like her kids are about to be taken away from her in order to pay debts that she can't pay. So well, we're going to take him. They're going to live us and work, work for us. You know, it's pretty tough. But it says, Elisha says to her, what do you want me to do for you? He's actually, tell me what do you have in your house? So it wasn't about this man who had the double portion of his spiritual father, Elijah, that could call bears, um, that reversed droughts, because he did. It's like an impeccable, incredible, powerful man. But when was asked of him, what he, he's like, what can I do for you? And he goes, something clicks. And he's like, what do you have? What is it? I hear what you don't have and what's happening to you, what you've lost. But what is it that you actually do have? Right? And so it's a different way of seeing things. And um, she said, I have nothing except for a jar of oil. And um, that was interesting. But a spark came into his mind. And he had what sounds silly, but he had a brilliant idea. Brilliant ideals in the Bible often look like the dumbest idea. Um, but God's teaching us to see something different. What do you have in your house? I got a jar of oil. And it's interesting, the way that I have nothing but a jar of oil, the way that it's written in verse 2 of 2 Kings 4 is that that root word of anointing is there, but it's in a singular place. I have... I have nothing but an anointing, an, an anointing of oil. Like basically enough that is an anointing that's only for my own person. A single use, if you would, you know. Um, and it, and it, that word only occurs in this passage of the Bible. This is the problem, but it's also the solution. So, um, you know, some of the commentaries will literally say that they believe that when there is a, a single a single serve like this, it could have been, even been like I have the my own personal burial anointing that I'm going to die with. That that's all I've got. You know, I think that's really interesting. But you can kick that around yourself. But um, but either either way, it kind of works. Elisha's idea is go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty ones. And it's just like, you mean go borrow oil from my neighbors? <laughs> like, remember, I don't have anything. And he's like, no, go borrow empty vessels from your neighbors. Amen. And um, he says, don't just gather a few. Like, go big. Get a lot and bring them, bring them into your house. And when you've come in, shut the door behind you. In other words, it's, it's kind of like when Jesus would talk about relational connection. The Pharisees, they, they're praying in the corners to look spiritual and they get all that glory from people. You know, they look real a certain way. When they fast, they kind of purposely look like, oh man, we've been going on seven, eight hours. You know, you know they're trying to gain that cloud. And, um, but he says, what did he say? He's like, but when you pray, go in your house, shut the door. Your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. In other words, the authority of God that's on your life comes from your secret place relationship to him. It doesn't have to be a closet. I know a lot of people, well, i got to go into a closet. You know, come on now. He's, he's literally talking about out of the sight of people to where you're doing it. And it can be a closet. That's cool. But it doesn't have to be. He's just literally talking about it's, it's not something you do for visual. It's something you do for relational connection. But that causes it to be open 
authorities out in the open. So anyways, he says the same thing. Go and shut the door behind you and then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. <laughs> what a weird strategy. We're listening to a Bible story. A lot of people are like, well, yeah, this is just maybe just, you know, da, da, da. like, no, but this is real. And she's never seen anything like this before. This is like, what? She's taking the word of somebody that she knows is, is probably she, she knows him. Her husband's a prophet. She knows he's the baddest man in the world. The king calls him father, right? The king calls Elisha father, my father. You know, boss man. You know, he tells kings, I wouldn't even talk to you if I didn't want to. He says that in the chapter four to a, king, to a different king. Just not scared of nobody. Um, he's a bad dude. He is what they called him the, the, the chariots and horsemen of fire was the authority that Elisha walked in, that his predecessor walked in. So she sees him and she's not questioning. So, all right. So, I mean, those, we're going to go into our secret, in, into our house, and we're going to get all those vessels out and we're going to dump out my one single portion, the one that was actually just mine, into these things. And you guys have probably read this, or if you haven't, you're catching on what's going to happen. She went, shut the door behind her, and it says they, they, they poured it all out. And it says, it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another one. Bring me another vessel. Bring me another one. Like she's like, oh my gosh, can you just imagine what that looked like? She's like, oh, all right, pour it in a bowl. And then, and then it's just not coming out. You're like, whoa, now. Whoa, okay, give me another. Oh my gosh. They're just like, can you imagine what that felt like in that movie scene? They're just like, what in the world? Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, um, but when her sons finally said, hey, there's not a single other vessel, that's when it like, it poured all, you know, that was it. That was all that, it's like it, it had, magically had that exact amount, you know. For as much as she could possibly make room, there was oil available. Wow. Any, for everything, John the Baptist, make way. Where? In the wilderness. Well, there's nothing there. What about in the big city, in the big, you know, let's do this. No, no, no. Make, make way. In the wilderness, make way. That's how it's really written there in Isaiah. Like, in the wilderness, make way, you know. Yeah. In the desert, make a highway. A highway to what? There's nothing in the desert to drive from A to B. There's nothing there. You're going to build a nice highway and overpass and a couple of exits with nothing there. Yeah. It's like we create space because there's something that's already been released, already been granted. All the promises in him are yes and amen. Yeah. So everything that he established in this covenant is there and ready and willing. And, 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 he, and the will of God is yes, it's amen. And it's like our minds have to come into the place of agreement with like on earth as it is in heaven. And the way we do that, even live that by faith, that Hebrews 11, is that we understand and acknowledge the fact like, hey, I'm, not only am I going to believe that it's there and just hope that it happens, I'm going to create room to allow it to happen. I'm going to build, you know, ministry, church, our life. It is not about building a launch pad to get out of here. It is about building a landing strip. Amen. You know what I mean? It is about building a receiving for what is. Yeah, that's what it is. And that's what's happening with this, with this story. But I thought it was so, um, so cool, you know, obviously, because um, the problem was the solution. All I have is this one thing. And I think that is a problem for so many people that are wanting more and they're wanting this walk. And I feel like it stunts more growth spiritually, at least in my career, that I've seen. Um, 
is thinking that, hey, this is a pot of my pot of oil or my anointing of oil was a self-serve. It was for me. And even for the situations I have going on in my life or, or whatever it is, um, coming out of that mentality, and he's like, no, go get the empty vessels of your neighbors. You know what I mean? It's just like, whoa. It's just like, could that be the answer of, of the river of life flowing? Just like he told Fotini, the woman at the well, John 4, it's like, hey, out of your in, you won't thirst, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to be worried about where is it flowing? Where am I going to get it? It's, you're so full of it that it will actually be coming out of you and satisfying other people because of me. That's the river of life. And it's the opposite game. And it's not some new age or some weird little thing, but it's like the more you release, the more you receive. It's like, I've got to have something that's going to be a big message. A huge cooler pouring out in my house, and I'm ticked off at my dogs for ruining the floors or whatever else. And then I realize, like, hey, man, Remember, it's not about you. It's about me and you. Yeah, you rest in me. You realize that you're lying in the river. and Like, it's coming, dude. You know what I mean? Everything you need is right where you need it, right when you need it. Something like that. Bill can say it better than that, but I think that's what it is. Yeah, and I just work here. I'm just showing up. I'm available. And, and that's, our, that's our play when we're, when we're connected to the, to the river. And the way, well, I feel dry, I feel out. It's just like, yeah, well, what are we releasing? What are you pouring out? What are you pouring into? Like the growth, I mean, I think that's the, that was the, the problem, but it was also, the, the lack was the problem, but the solution was to pour into the neighbor's vessels. Now, we understand it's symbolic. We understand he, she poured that stuff in and sold it off and paid her debts. And we understand the story, but we also know that this was actually written for us. And Jesus is using oil, um, you know, Analogies and, and this, uh, the oil was the analogy of the anointing that came over people. This is literally talking about the indwelling of our connection and our fellowship. And so the greatest way we grow in it is by releasing it. Yeah. I'm not trying, saying like always trying to catch a revelation so I can go preach to people at work or impress people. That's the wisdom that's from the earth, it says in James 3. That wisdom that's from the earth is earthly, it is sensual, it is demonic because it is driven by selfish ambition. And all evil things come there, even when it starts off with being Christian. But that's not the right motive. But it says in James 3, but the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable, and it is even willing to yield. And I was young, I was thinking, like, why is wisdom from above willing to yield? Like, I had a chip on my shoulder, especially people that were in ministry. I didn't like them. And I didn't think they were valid, most of them. I had a bad attitude. I don't have that anymore. And um, but, you know, I did, especially when I was young, but I would read a, something like that and I would think, well, why if I had the wisdom from above, would I yield to any of these clowns? That was the attitude, you know what I mean? But it showed me what the wisdom that comes from above recognizes that you don't always know what you think you know. Amen. And humility is the way of actually acknowledging God in your ways and actually growing in Him. And not judging yourself amongst people because you're actually planning on, you know, your life or your position or you're measuring yourself by people. Like all that stuff is a trap. And that is the selfish ambition that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. But the wisdom that's from above, man, it doesn't come. It's not us, you know. Every New Age practice, and some of them are really hitting good stuff, but it's just like it's always about, it's a look in. It's, it, the answers are in you. But it's like the, it is the king. It is the spirit. It is the anointing which is in you that teaches you all things. It's him. You know what I mean? 
Call nobody your father. Call nobody your teacher. You know, these things. It's the anointing that teaches you. And that's not a rebellious thing. It's like, well, no, it's that you recognize the people that, if God does place them in authority, it's not, you're not glorifying the person. You're recognizing like, hey, they're getting that from the Lord, but it's our same dad and it's my inheritance too. You know what I mean? There's something to seeing the way Elisha uh, could see where there was lack. Oh, I know what you need to do. You need to pour the last bit of what you actually have. That stuff that you have for yourself, your relationship, anyways, could look like your relationship, the analogy to God is, is literally very, very one-dimensional. It is just about you and God and your problems, your issues, your family. It's all about those things. But as soon as you look for those places, those empty vessels that need, and you release, you're going to find yourself having more in your own house. You know what I mean? Your provision being there for you. And also, you will grow because the river won't be stagnant. It will be flowing from you. That is the point, man. That is the point. We pour, in, we pour out in order to be filled. It sounds so weird, like a yin-yang symbol or new age or something, but it's Jesus and they've all ripped him off. We give in order to receive. We pour out and release when we're walking around. I've, the most immature people are always walking around just, just empty black hole vessels of need. They always have issues. And it's okay to have needs and it's okay to have issues. And you should go to those who have wisdom that, and, you, know, that you trust. But to stay that perpetual way and never be growing. A lot of times the missing link is that we're never really releasing what we do have. Amen. Even if it's just five rocks. All I got is a sling and some five rocks. I don't have that stuff. You know what I mean? It's just like we use, hey Moses, what's that in your hand? Yeah. He's like, this old thing? It's a staff, which AKA just means a stick. <laughs> it's a dang stick I hit these dang sheep with. What do you think it looks like? Burning bush fire angel, you know? He's like, yeah, go with that. Go with this, yeah, throw it on the ground, see what happens. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like take what you do have, not what you d -d 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 don't have. Because he stuttered, you know what I mean? It's like, stick, stick, staff, staff. You know what I mean? It's like, you're the mouthpiece. And it's like, I'm a, I'm a loser. But God is like, hey, release what you have. I don't, I don't need much from you. I just need you not to be in the way. You know? I need you not to be self-centered. And all about need. And realize when you see things and process things, man, it's just like, I'll tell you, like, I would say it was probably, there's so much going, going to be personal, of my personal life, it has been so, I've stepped into such great things in this past couple years. I really have, even us as a family. But even at the same time, last year, easily the hardest that I've ever had, the most pressure, the hardest time that I've ever had. Uh, dealing with, you know, some disease in the family, you know, just really dark, heavy, and um, a lot of pressure. And it brought so much, but it really was a pressing that caused so much to come to light and, and to cause growth and, and still is. But one thing I know that even no matter what I was going through, and I'm locked into a different lane, really, you know what I mean? To, to the lane of what true faith in the Lord Jesus is and locking into his voice and manifesting what he says is truth and what that looks like to actually visualize and come into agreement on a cellular level in your soul and spirit to where that stuff um, uh, comes through your life. So I'm locked into that lane 
And lucky for you guys, you're not just locked into that lane. Well, that's what I'm doing, so that's what you're going to hear about every week. You know? But I'll tell you what, it's a very real trial, but it brought me so much, um, brought up so much that seemed visceral or oblique. But anyways, one thing I found that was a strength was the strategy of having to pour and release in myself. It's just like there was something about being able to un, uh, disconnect from trial from your own self-life and get the word of the Lord for other people. What's happening with them? What's the strategy with them? What will benefit them? What can you say that'll hit? Where, where's the enemy coming in? Let's uncover that. Where's the, where's the truth in the life of the Lord? You know, and being able to do that has been, has been so life-giving. Now, luckily, my, hand, my left hand is shaking so much, I don't know why. I had two cups of coffee today, but they were small, you know, and I ran along. Uh, anyway, anyway, so... But it was like, it was one of those things um, that caused life to flow through me. And it's almost like a break. You know what I mean? Because I got to get up and take swings at stuff. <laughs> that didn't have anything to do with me necessarily. And there's just something to that practical reality of like stepping out of yourself and releasing to other people that are your, air quote, neighbors in life. You know what I mean? That causes strength and it causes pieces to come together and it causes understanding to come into your mind that is such a beautiful aspect of real Christianity. It's never self-centered. Even when the shepherd is leading you on a very specific path and he's teaching you and, and leading you and stuff, that's brilliant as well. But there's, but there's this balance of in and out of the tabernacle, in and out of the heavenly places and into the earth, the way that they ministered before the people. It's just like there's this balance that's, that causes growth and advancement and understanding and freedom, even in visceral or uh, oblique aspects of your life that you weren't even intending to focus on. You're growing and changing. This is what it's there for, for all of us. And I think there's a relational key with God. Maybe this is part of the point um, that one way that we become really close with people, with any relationship, is by living life with them. You know what I mean? Like going through life with somebody. If you've ever been through... Even as a, if you ever played sports, you're on a team and you, you guys went a certain distance or you really, you know, you really made it to the playoffs or to a division title or something like that. And like you all were in it together and you're just locked in and sync. It's like you went through trial. You went through some losses. It's like, but it's the same with life. When you're living life with people, it's like there's a strength and a bond of camaraderie that in that shared walk that just causes growth and advancement for everybody. But it's the same, and it's very right for the koinonia, for the house, John 1, 1 John 1, but with going through things with God. And, you know, the little old man that ordained me a long time ago, a little mystic guy, and, um, but he, his name was Bob Jones, and he used to say, like, God wants to talk to you about everything in your life. And I was like, well, like, he wants to know everything you're thinking all the time. There's nothing too small that you can't share with him. Your thoughts, your feelings about situations, you know, and um, not in a knowledge of good and evil. Should I go to Brookshire's today or Walmart Marketplace? Lord, what's the right one? You know, not, not oh, you know, God's forcing me into, oh, man, I'm praying about it. You know, but it's just like, but, but like you process through things. I'm an outward processor. And that's my wife. But it's like, um, but it's like you process through things to him. You become very close. And sometimes we want to put on our outfit or, 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 our priest garb and then going, oh, amen, brother. Thank you, Lord. I mean, Father, I mean, brother, I mean, Father, you're one of those. And, you know, we get into this gear instead of like 
understanding that he's with us and he never leaves us for seconds. He's in us, we're with him. And we can process through everything with him, good and bad, without feeling ashamed. I know I shouldn't feel this way, God, so da 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 You know what I mean? But just like being honest with him. Rejection or trial or positive and like this made me feel this it makes you know and it's like there's something of living life with him that causes this um connection to thrive but that's where real anointing is it's they know each other depart from me in other words hey doors wide open we do know each other you know what i mean the doors of opportunity the doors of heaven the doors of the kingdom this reality and i believe that was talking about 70 ad 67 in that specific story math 25 but it's like the, the the real reality is like hey like all of it's open for you. It's all about knowing the Lord. It's not about the five-year plan. It's not about the network and who you know. It's about knowing Him, growing in Him, seeking His plan first above all things, letting Him lead you into all truth. Yeah, and you're going. And you're going through it. And that's relationship. I wrote something down. I think this is very valuable. If you don't do this, you don't have to. But I wrote the word journal right there because when you go through things together, with someone, it makes you very close. But when you process your life together with God, I haven't seen anything, I mean, probably a few things maybe, but this is one of the greatest things I've seen in a relationship with God is actually journaling, writing back and forth. And this isn't some witchcraft, you know, automatic writing like, oh, you know, like all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about in a relationship to God. You guys are a very biblical church. You understand the Old and New Testament. You understand the way God talks and speaks and it's never stopped and that it's all the way through both sides. And there's nothing about it ever going away, nor will it ever, but it will enhance. And, but that is such a strength of the Christian yes. to process through, to write things out, write your heart out, write your questions out. And let him, let him speak into that stuff in due time. Hmm. Last thing, what do I have written here? Also, what stints growth the most? Stunts growth the most, I believe, or one of the major things, is thinking that we know things that we don't know. Yeah. But knowing him changes what you know. And it can change your perspective on things. Even the things that have happened to you or that are happening around you. And that's the the important aspect. It's the wisdom that flows from heaven that causes us to grow in this authority and power that Romans says all of creation is groaning and longing for us to be revealed. Mankind to be uncapped, to step in the authority and power of the anointing of God, which is Christ in us. It's the hope of glory. It's a relational connection that is on display. Doing the what uncommon or the common uncommonly well, but even more than more than just the common, even doing things with excellence, like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach, you know what I mean? Um, living in such a way that our integrity is on display. Amen. That people feel safe with us relationally, that um, there's understanding that comes from us in life instead of a, a preaching a sermon at, at somebody at work. It's just like when something comes up, the word of wisdom or the discernment of God coming out in such a way that unlocks other people. And they're like, wow, that was, that was, that was really cool. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's real. So that's the message. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you that even John 3, that uh, John the Baptist said that you didn't, you didn't pour out the Spirit, but you didn't release your Spirit by measure. You've given us, you've given us the whole thing. And so, Lord, I ask that, you would, you would, that we would have wisdom that's from above, the ability to yield and to be open to you and your voice in such a way that even like Elisha's strategy, that um, if we would create space, you would fill it. If we would create space for you, 
that heaven would come into that space and we would be the distributors of that which is of the eternal realm in the earth. Lord, I ask even for our body that we would step into the, to the real maturity of this, it's funny to call it a religion of Christianity, but this, of this family uh, walk that you've given to us. The walk of, of wisdom and growth, understanding, the counsel, the might of your spirit within us, that we would learn to even yield to you that we would learn to be open to your voice and to your direction in even things that we thought were a bother or minuscule, but that you're always there. And so um, let us grow in this anointing that is knowing you and um, fellowship with one another.